The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Good afternoon and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in with good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who will uh, be co-hosting with me today for the next two hours. Leslie uh, is still in New York City doing uh, television and uh, she will be uh, back actually on uh, Monday. Tomorrow we're going to have Michelle Jawando from the Center for American Progress. Uh, who always does a great job. But today, again, uh, good uh, to be back with Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, a polling, message development, and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Recently, Brad acquired a new position as a weekly blogger for EpicTimes.com. He is also a lecturer in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. Brad, welcome back to the show. It's always great to be with you. Hey, Mark. How are you doing today? Good, good. I, I find, uh, you know, when, when prepping for these shows, as Brad knows because he gets these emails from me the night before at like 2.30 in the morning, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a bit of a night owl with my prep, and then I like to, to update the next day. But, um, you know, in, the, in this political season running up to the election, when, when you're – uh, you know, a little bit of peeking behind the curtain when you're, you're prepping for something like this versus in a non-election year, the amount of news that you can digest when you're trying to, you know, just learn the the state of, of politics that day is infinite with the amount of writers who, you know, have good scoops on different topics. And um, really, uh, you know, obviously with, with so much news the last two weeks, I find it, um, you know, such a challenge to, to feel like I can keep up with everything. And I don't know if you get that feeling ever, because I know you have to do this not just for this show, but obviously as your job, um, you know, running uh, your company. But uh, I know I know you read a lot of newspapers, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever just fall asleep because you've been doing it for so long. Well, uh, you're right. I mean, there's so much uh, information out there on the elections, uh, and I need to professionally i need to keep track of it and so i'm reading uh, stuff online all day and sometimes i read so much of it i feel my head's about to explode uh and when i get to that point uh i go to uh um i i usually go to mlb.com to read about baseball for a while to clear my head oh my god uh, brad that's but, so funny last night i was having a similar experience where i stood up to get a drink of water and i just felt like i was gonna like oh my god so i was like all right i gotta check what's the score of the all-star game and it almost like gave me like a mental break you know Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, it's the only way I can stop, you know, in the middle of the day, uh, it's the only way I can stop my head from exploding is just to spend some time online reading about baseball, which is my favorite sport. Uh, And I do that for half an hour, and I'm ready to dive back into politics again. But you're right, there's a hell of a lot out there. Well, uh, it's probably more enjoyable for you as a Red Sox fan than a Yankees fan to read about baseball this year. So we'll leave it at that. We'll let you uh, enjoy that. But um, getting right into what we're going to be discussing today, uh, I want to talk uh, to Brad, and, and you're welcome to join in any time at 8886 Leslie. 
That's 888-653-7543. We're going to recap Bernie Sanders' endorsement of Hillary Clinton yesterday. We're going to talk about the uh, Trump VP sweepstakes, which it now looks like uh, is expected to be announced this Friday. Um, we saw that Donald Trump uh, it refused an invitation to speak at the NAACP. There was a CNN town hall last night with Paul Ryan, which produced some interesting audio. Um, I thought there were some good questions from the audience. Uh, we're going to preview the Republican National Convention, and uh, President Obama also had some very uh, moving remarks at the memorial service for the five fallen Dallas police officers uh, last week. And I also found out today uh, he's meeting with uh, experts in law enforcement, um, academics, and different um, citizen advocacy groups uh, trying to uh, make some progress uh, that he was previously working on uh, with that task force at the White House. And then he's also expected to have a town hall on race uh, this evening. So uh, quite a, a busy man these last couple weeks. But um, let's start first, Brad. We're going to play a little bit audio of uh, Bernie Sanders from yesterday, and then I'll get your thoughts on that. We'll uh, we'll play that now. Secretary Clinton has won the Democratic nominating process, and I congratulate her for that. She will be the Democratic nominee for president, and I intend to do everything I can to make certain she will be the next president of the United States. I have come here today not to talk about the past, but to focus on the future. That future will be shaped more by what happens on November 8th in voting booths across our nation than by any other event in the world. I have come here to make it as clear as possible as to why I am endorsing Hillary Clinton and why she must become our next president. During the last year, I have had the extraordinary opportunity, an extraordinary opportunity to speak to more than 1.4 million Americans at rallies in almost every state in our country. I was also able to meet with many thousands of other people at smaller gatherings. And the profound lesson that I have learned is that this campaign is not really about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or any other candidate who sought the presidency. This campaign is about the needs of the American people and addressing and addressing the very serious crises that we face. And there is no doubt in my mind that as we head into November, Hillary Clinton is far and away the best candidate to do that. 
So, Brad, that was a little bit of a taste of Bernie Sanders' speech yesterday. I want to get your thoughts on that, and then after that we're going to play a clip where he specifically talks about wages, which I thought was one of the strongest portions uh, of his speech uh, Excuse me, yesterday, and then we'll hear from Hillary Clinton. But before we go uh, any further with that, I just wanted to know what you thought of his, his endorsement yesterday in the event. I know you probably, as we just talked about, you read a lot. Um, some people thought you know it was a good event, and they both did a good job speaking. Other people uh said that you could still almost sense a little bit of tension between the two which i don't think is unnatural after a you know a, a long primary i think if you look the proofs in the pudding with the platform of the democrats but what was your overall take on that brad well uh, i thought it uh i thought it went very well uh you know the clip just the part uh, of the speech you just played that's all that was necessary. Um, it was a full-throated endorsement of Hillary Clinton. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, and that's exactly what the Clinton campaign wanted, uh, and they got it. Uh, they got pictures of her and Bernie Sanders on the stage behind, in front of an American flag, uh, a full-throated uh, endorsement by Bernie Sanders. Uh, what more do you want to ask for in life? It's, you don't get much better than that. Um, and, you know, I think from a standpoint of, of Bernie, I think he really, I think, did a great job of using the leverage that he had uh, to affect the platform. I mean, if you look, um, you know, they got a, a lot of movement on issues with Hillary Clinton, which I honestly think will help her in November. But like moving the, the minimum wage to $15 an hour, um, her, her college plan, which uh, moved closer to Bernie's college plan, she focused more on campaign finance reform. She used some strong language yesterday, which I was happy to hear about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is, you know, not an easy thing to do when the president that, you know, she would be six, um, uh, uh, coming after uh, would was, you know, instrumental in getting the TPP legislation, uh, you know, formed. I think that, you know, Hillary has come a long way. Uh, to towards Bernie, and I think he did a really good job leveraging his uh, delegates. When you look at people who complained about how long he stayed in the race, I, I think that's exactly why he did it, Brad, isn't it, to affect the platform? Well, yeah, and uh, the their uh, last uh, over the week is past weekend. Uh, the Democratic uh, Convention Platform Committee. Uh, met and adopted a tra platform that has to be voted on by all the delegates. Uh, but if you look at the platform, uh, it incorporates a lot of Bernie's positions. In fact, I was seeing on TV uh, Sanders' policy advisor, uh, who was the guy, a liaison between the Sanders campaign and the platform committee, uh, and he said that the uh, they were the Sanders people were very happy with the platform. Uh, they got 80% of what they wanted. Um, now, no one ever gets 100% of what they want in American politics. Um, so when you get 80%, you should be damn pleased. And, uh, you know, he seemed, uh, Sanders' advisor seemed very pleased, and he should be, uh, because Bernie Sanders, I have a lot of admiration for what Sanders did. Uh, I've probably said it on the show, but he won everything in this battle except the nomination. Uh, he framed the, uh, just, uh, the uh, issue agenda uh, and turned the Democratic Party into a much more progressive party. 
Uh, he uh, activated a young generation of progressive activists. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, my guess is that when Bernie Sanders got in a race uh, way back when, he really wasn't thinking about winning the nomination. Uh, I think he, was, he got in the race because he wanted to influence uh, the party, uh, the direction of the party. And I think he absolutely did that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, though, uh, when I was watching the Sanders uh, Hillary Love Fest uh, yesterday up in New Hampshire, um, it struck me that uh, it reminded me of something we're not seeing. And what we're not seeing uh, is a rally with Donald Trump and all his uh, former GOP presidential opponents uh, doing the same thing. It's such a good point, Brad. When you look, you don't see, you know, Ted Cruz, who was the last to, uh, or well, I guess second last to bow out, or John Kasich, the last to bow out, uh, you know, embracing Trump in the way that, that Bernie is with Hillary. And to your, to your previous point, we're going to go to break after this, Brad, but I, I find it so interesting. I, I couldn't agree with you more about the way that Bernie Sanders' campaign started. I remember, and you and I both, you know, follow politics closely, so we were both very familiar with Senator Sanders, especially both of us being very uh, progressive. Progressive Democrats, um, you know, with the policies that that he has pushed for. But watching his event when he first announced that he was running, I mean, the, the small amount of media there, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised because they talk about the Bernie blackout, you know, for the first half of his campaign, you know, because he railed against the corporate run media and things like that. So it, it wasn't surprising to to see, you know, the lack of coverage until people saw citizens lining up behind him in droves and, and these massive rallies, they were almost forced to cover him. But I think if you look at the start of the campaign where he started running to the end, I couldn't agree with you more. He got way further than I think anyone could have ever dreamed um, as far as influencing the platform and the direction of the Democratic Party. So I agree with you strongly on that, Brad. When we come back, we're going to hear Sanders talk about Donald Trump pushing what Sanders calls a starvation wage, and we want to get your opinions on that uh, and the minimum wage as well as uh, jobs in the economy and the difference between uh, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party's views on that uh, with the conventions coming up in a couple weeks. Again, this is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer. I am joined uh, by good friend and my guest host today, Brad Bannon. Check him out on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. That's Bannon with two N's. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Mark J. Grimaldi. Grimaldi is spelled G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. If you'd like to join in, the number to do so is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. And we'll be right back with you after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Hillary Clinton understands that if someone in America works 40 hours a week, that person should not be living in poverty. She believes, we all believe, that we must raise the minimum wage to a living wage. And further, she wants to create 
millions of new jobs by rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our water systems, our wastewater plants. But her opponent, Donald Trump, well, he has a very different view. He believes that states should have the right to lower the minimum wage or even abolish the concept of the minimum wage. If Donald Trump is elected, we will see no increase in the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, a starvation wage. This election is about which candidate will nominate Supreme Court justices who are prepared. who will nominate Supreme Court justices who are prepared to overturn the disastrous Citizens United decision a decision which is allowing billionaires to buy elections and is undermining our democracy. This election is about who will appoint new justices on the Supreme Court who will defend a woman's right to choose. Who will defend the rights of the LGBT community. who will defend workers' rights, the needs of minorities and immigrants, and the government's ability to protect our environment. If anyone out there thinks that this election is not important, take a moment to think about the Supreme Court justices that Donald Trump will nominate and what that means to civil liberties, equal rights, and the future of our country. That, of course, was Bernie Sanders yesterday during his endorsement of Hillary Clinton. We're going to get Brad's opinion on the issues that Senator Sanders brought up there, like the minimum wage, campaign finance reform, uh, Supreme Court justice choices, and what that would mean, what the Supreme Court uh, could do with a majority one way or the other. If you'd like to join in, the number is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. And this is Mark Grimaldi in with Brad Bannon for Leslie Marshall. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall with you for the next hour and a half. We're going to wrap up this uh, long segment here with Brad Bannon. Break, go back to uh, talk media news at our nation's capital, and then Brad's going to join us 
uh, for the entire third hour as well. Uh, before we went to break, we heard uh, some audio by Senator Sanders from yesterday, Brad, during his endorsement of Hillary Clinton. And uh, I wanted to get your take on the specific points that Senator Sanders uh, brought up there, starting first with his comments regarding uh, Donald Trump pushing for what Sanders called a starvation wage, comparing that to what he and Hillary Clinton are pushing for, which is a $15 an hour uh, federal uh, minimum wage that would affect the entire United States. I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that first, Brad. Well, uh, Senator Sanders uh, is right. Uh, and um, I should mention, this goes back to our previous point, uh, the Democratic Party is now officially on record as supporting a $15 minimum wage. And my guess is that largely is due to the uh, influence of uh, Senator Sanders and his supporters. Uh, you know, a Trump said at one of the Republican uh, uh, debates, he said, uh, I think wages are too high. Now, why he thinks that, I don't pretend to know. Well, he's actually delusional. That's probably why. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's ridiculous, and it's a great way to contrast uh, Donald Trump uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, and the reality is most Americans, the uh, overwhelming majority of Americans, favor an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, and it's interesting to see the starting point for all this debate uh, was two years ago, I think, when President Obama uh, asked Congress to raise the minimum wage to $10.10, which, of course, the Republicans wouldn't do. But now we're talking about $15. And uh, that's great. It's a great way to contrast the two presidential candidates. Especially when you're looking at the facts on the ground of how much it costs to raise a family, um, you know, $15 an hour gets people to, you know, in many states to what's basically called a living wage where you can actually keep up with being able to afford um, basic, you know, food, shelter and housing for, for you and your family. Um, and many people are, are working at minimum wage jobs in the United States. You know, this talking point of, oh, those jobs are only occupied by, um, you know, students or summer people working summer jobs. Just That's just not the case anymore. Um, on to the next point, which I think is uh, probably the most important that Senator Sanders brought up uh, as far as how it's going to affect the country, which is uh, who will be nominating the Supreme Court justice vacancy left uh, opening, uh, excuse me, left open uh, by the death of uh, Justice um, uh, with Scalia, uh, with his passing, because, of course, the Republicans haven't allowed President Obama to do his uh, duty that he's uh, been given in the Constitution, which is to nominate the next Supreme Court justice and have fair hearings. So it's going to fall on the next president. And obviously, the next president could well, uh, you know, not just nominate and fill that one vacancy, but future vacancies as well. Uh, and the issues that are that fall under that umbrella are, as Bernie mentioned, Citizens United, uh, a woman's right to choose LGBT rights, Civil liberties to me, Brad. That's really the the biggest thing at stake in this presidential election because we see how big the decisions in the Supreme Court affect the United States. From you know uh, LGBT, uh, excuse me, uh, same sex marriage, you know marriage equality, to a woman's right to choose, to campaign finance reform, to the Voting Rights Act. I mean, the list goes on and on. 
Well, yeah, I think you could uh, make an argument that is the most important consideration in the election. Uh, first of all, you have a bunch of Supreme Court sitting Supreme Court justices uh, who were in their 70s, and I think there um, there are two who are actually in their 80s. Uh, so the reality is that the next president is going to have uh, the opportunity uh, to shape uh, the or his or her uh, Supreme Court in his or her image. Uh, and uh, you know I, the other thing that the other reason why I think the Supreme Court issue is very important. It's my guess is I think uh, the Democrats have a good chance of picking up a majority in the Senate. Um, I think there is an outside chance, but not a very good chance, that the Democrats will take back the House. Now, if Hillary Clinton's president, that means she's going to run into the same kind of obstruction and obstacles that uh, Barack Obama did. And really, the only way to break through that obstruction is to have a progressive majority uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, because, uh, you know, the Supreme Court ha- can break new ground uh, if Congress doesn't decide, can't uh, act on an issue. And so that's tremendously important because I think that's where all the action is going to be uh, next year, uh, not in Congress or not even in the White House, uh, but the Supreme Court. Uh, and so I think that's vitally important because uh, all you really need, I mean, for instance, if uh, President Obama had the Republicans uh, had confirmed uh, Merrill Garland, uh, we would have um, a five to four progressive majority on the Supreme Court, which is why, of course, the, the Republicans don't want to uh, uh, vote on uh, Merrill Garland, although they'll kick themselves for blocking it next year when Hillary Clinton gets to make her own appointment. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I I think it is the most paramount consideration because that's the best hope for progressives uh, is a progressive majority in the Supreme Court. And all we need is one more liberal progressive justice. Yeah, I mean, looking at Merrick Garland, the choice of Merrick Garland, President Obama obviously picked a moderate hoping to get uh, you know, fair hearings, and when that didn't work, uh, you know, obviously, if Hillary Clinton has her say, the and, and she wins the presidency, uh, the the pressure is going to be on Republicans to basically put their money where their mouth was, which was they said they would hold hearings when it's the next president, uh, so they would have a lot more pressure, I think, to do so. Um, but we'll see when the time comes. Moving on uh, to the next question I had for you, Brad. Polling before yesterday's endorsement showed about eighty percent of Sanders supporters say they intend to vote for Hillary Clinton in November, and I just wonder how how much you think that number will change between now and November. Only about 9% saying uh, they would vote for Trump, and the remaining uh, 11% of that number uh, talking about voting for a third-party candidate like a Gary Johnson or a Jill Stein. Well, there are always a few diehards that are going to uh, go down fighting, uh, but uh, I think uh, when all said and done uh, on November 8th, uh, Hillary Clinton will get 90 you know, plus percent uh, of the uh, Sanders vote. And my guess is just what happened yesterday um, is going to maybe push it up from, you know, 81 to 90 or something. Uh, so that, that's, that 
yesterday was very important for that reason. And, uh, you know, it's funny, in the last few days, I've got calls from all sorts of reporters writing stories about uh, the Sanders endorsement of Hillary Clinton, and they ask me about party unity. Um, and my answer is, why are we so focused on Democratic uh, uh Unity, because Hillary Clinton right now is getting more of the Democratic vote than Donald Trump is the Republican vote. Uh, so let's talk about the divisions uh, in the Republican Party, which are a much more serious problem for Donald Trump than divisions in the Democratic Party are for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I would agree with you strongly on that. The numbers bear that out, Brad. Um, do you think that Hillary's moving toward Bernie on issues like like the minimum wage we just talked about, uh, her debt-free college plan, campaign finance reform, and also uh, something that hasn't gotten a ton of attention but I think is important, which is the idea of adding a public option to Obamacare? Do you think these issues uh, and moves to, towards Bernie will help her with the general electorate in November? Well, the short answer, I mean, take the minimum wage. Uh, if you ask, if you look at national polls that have uh, asked about the minimum wage uh, since President Obama uh, asked for an increase a couple of years ago, uh, an overwhelming majority uh, of Americans favor an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, so that's a great issue uh, for Hillary Clinton, uh, and because it's something Americans want. I mean, the only people who don't understand why the minimum wage uh, are important. Um, are Donald Trump, uh, Republican members of con uh, uh, Congress, and the National Chamber of Commerce. Um, everybody else sees the logic of it. And, you know, there's, there's one thing that I think is important about the minimum wage, which also no one talks about. Uh, when the president made his proposal, uh, he, uh, the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan arm of Congress, uh, did a study, and in their study, they say basically, uh, by just by raising the minimum wage, uh, you would move a million Amer households over the poverty line. They would not be eligible for federal benefits anymore, and you'd save a ton of money there. Yeah, so I mean, it makes sense economically, not only for the people who would be receiving a raise in the minimum wage, but also for the amount of money that our government spends on those benefits. So I think that's another strong point and another reason why I think it's a winning issue uh, in November. Uh, moving on to some of the other issues that uh, Hillary Clinton mentioned in her speech yesterday following Bernie's endorsement, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the following ideas that she mentioned. The first thing she mentioned uh, was that, that she wants to advocate for national guidelines on the use of force by police officers, which I think would be a very important um, tool, I think, for not only for police officers to have those standards to, to know basically what situations to use force in and what situations not to use force in, but also I think it could help reestablish some trust that's been lost between the African-American community and police officers if they knew what the rules were for use of force. So obviously it's you know one thing to say it and another thing to try to implement it, but I, I think it's a good idea with all the um, you know unrest we've seen you know last week with the the shooting deaths of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, Philando Castile in Minnesota, and then obviously the uh, five police officers who were killed uh, in Dallas all in one week. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's important, and that fits into a nexus of issues. And the reality is. Uh what we need to do, and the 
Senator Clinton, I, you know, is a strong advocate of this, uh, is we need to do something um, about gun violence in this country. Uh, you know, and just as an obvious example, the last time I looked at a national poll, uh, about 92% of all Americans favored universal background checks. Um, the only people who don't, apparently, are Republican members of Congress. Uh, and, you know, you just can't have all these guns around uh, and expect uh, something good to happen, uh, because it won't. And uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, throughout her career, has been a strong advocate um, of uh, dealing with measures to deal with gun violence. And uh, America desperately needs that. Brad, the police chief in Dallas brought up an interesting point on that note that, I, I first of all, I thought he really did a great job uh, pushing through the situation last week and showing strong leadership. I believe his name is David Brown. Uh, and if it, one interview he gave to Jake Tapper in the days, uh, a couple days after the, uh, the Dallas police officers, five Dallas police officers were killed, was talking about how the fact that you had, because of open carry in Dallas, you had, you know, I think it was something like 15 or 20 people with these assault-style weapons slung over their shoulders when the bullets started being fired uh, by the sniper, and the officers didn't know whether one of these people were was an attacker, and they're very lucky that some of these people who showed up at the protest with these, these weapons didn't get shot and killed, and they, the, the police chief was talking about how it made the officers' jobs th- that much harder to try to identify who the shooter was, protect themselves, and protect the protesters, and it just adds to the chaos. And it also flies in the face of the only way, the, the NRA's talking point, which is the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, because you had all these other people, and, you know, these people armed, some some of the weapons were, you know, unloaded, didn't have bullets in them from what I had heard. But, um, you know, obviously when a sniper starts shooting and you don't know where they are, imagine if these other people start returning fire and then the police officers think that one of one of them is one of the people who's attacking the police officers you just it's like a shootout in the, in the, in the old west i mean i think if, and this is the police chief saying it so i think it just completely um just highlights the point of how ridiculous these open carry laws are and how instead of protecting people it actually makes people less safe and not not only the people with the guns but also people who are you know around them when situations like this arise well, yeah, and, you know, one of the ironies of this situation is that every time there's a vote in Congress on gun violence, you see the police chiefs of America uh, are just have been desperately pleading for Congress uh, to limit gu- the availability of guns. Uh, the pol- you know the national chiefs of police have been the, one of the strongest advocates of gun control, and every time there's a vote uh, or a hearing in Congress, you can see uh, hundreds of uniformed policemen uh, you know in Congress uh, roaming the halls asking for members of Congress to support. Uh, reasonable measures to reduce gun violence, but uh, the NRA and the uh and the uh, Republicans in Congress have ignored the pleas of uh, police chiefs across the country. The other point I think that's important to bring up uh, in that same vein, Brad, is that you have um, you know these people talking about these these gun rights, but you don't have you know you have the polling you talked about with universal background checks, and you have these police chiefs who are advocating for you know to have these common sense you know. Uh, 
things like universal background checks, talking about issues like open carry, yet you have, you know, when a police officer, and I could see why they would want this, when they do happen to pull someone over in the United States versus a country like Canada, for instance, they have to be on that much more of a high alert that someone could be armed uh, with a weapon because we just passed the mark, uh, I, th- I think it was this year, where there's now more guns in America than people. So, you know, being a police officer here versus, you know, like someone in our neighbor to the north, it's a completely different situation when you pull someone over and the officer has to go to the side of the car and you just wonder how situations might be different with some of these people who have been killed by police officers, not excusing the police officer's action, but you you could see why some of them are on edge because they never know if someone is going to have a deadly weapon that they might attack them with. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time in this segment, Brad, but we're going to bring Brad back on at the top of next hour. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer. I'm with you for the next hour, joined by a good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, a polling, message development, and media firm, which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Brad recently acquired a new position as a weekly blogger for epictimes.com. He formerly wrote for U.S. News and World Report. He's also a lecturer in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts, and you can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Check out his website, BannonCR.com. For those of you who were with us last hour, you heard us talk a little bit about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders endorsing her yesterday. Uh, We were getting into uh, a little bit more about what Hillary Clinton laid out in the uh, speech yesterday uh, as far as her priorities uh, as president and some of the things that she brought up. We're going to take a listen to uh, a cut from uh, her speech yesterday. As Bernie will tell you, talk is cheap. We need to keep fighting to make sure everything we've stood for is real in the lives of people across America. This amazing country of ours is worthy of our best efforts. This election, let's send a clear message. In America, we don't tear each other down. We lift each other up. We build bridges, not walls. We put common interests ahead of self-interest. We stand together because we're stronger together. So I need your help. Please join this campaign. Make it your own. You can take out your phone right now and text JOIN, J-O-I-N, 47246, or go to HillaryClinton.com. We accept $20, $27 donations, too, you know. I can't tell you how grateful I am to be standing here with Senator Sanders. 
because I think both of us realize that each of our campaigns together represent the best of who we are. And now it is time for us to take that message to the rest of the country. I am fully aware that the other side will do everything possible to distort, to disinform, and we can't let that happen. We have to be standing up and fighting for the America that we know we can create together. I am confident and optimistic about our future, particularly when it comes to young people. I think America's best years are still ahead of us. So join with us. Let's make this happen together and win the election. Thank you very much. That, of course, was former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton at her event with Senator Bernie Sanders yesterday where she received uh, his endorsement. Uh, I thought that was one of the better parts of the speech, Brad, and, you know, she talked a lot about basically bringing uh, our side together and and being stronger together uh, versus Donald Trump's side, which is really about division and basically a divide-and-conquer type strategy. Um, Then when you look at, you know, some of the other specifics uh, that she brought up, which I think really represent what the Democratic side is trying to do, we already talked last hour about, you know, the Democrats wanting to put forward a $15 an hour minimum wage, whereas Donald Trump on the debate stage at some of the Republican debates actually talked about eliminating uh, the minimum wage. Another uh, plan that came out, uh, I believe it was about uh, 10 or 11 days ago, was Hillary Clinton's new college compact, uh, as they're calling it. And she uh, put forth a plan uh, to make it so that basically they would eliminate uh, tuition for in-state public universities for any family that makes $125,000 or less which uh, would include more than 80% of all families, according to the campaign. That's a very uh, major uh, campaign push, and I I think it's one that will be very popular um, amongst many citizens in the United States, considering it affects, um, as they said, about 80% of American families. Yeah, it's a very important issue, uh, and it's very important to understand the pressures these kids are under. Um, I'm currently teaching at a public university, uh, Salem State University, which is part of the University of Massachusetts University system. And these kids, uh, you know, they don't come from wealthy families. Um, Their families, and they don't have any, any way to pay tuition at a private college or university. But, you know, I, since I taught in both private and, and public universities, it is amazing the kids I have now at Salem State, how hard they work. Uh, they are dedicated to their studies. Uh, at the same time, they're working one or maybe two or even three jobs. Uh, it's amazing how hard and dedicated these kids are and what they'll do uh, to get a college education. Uh, and I think, you know, education is the key to econo- America's economic future. And we have lagged behind uh, a lot of countries in the world in terms of the uh, percentage uh, of uh, our population that has college education. 
And in terms of the international marketplace, that's a killer. And we just have to make it easier for the students like I have at Salem State, make it easier for them uh, to get in college and stay in college. You know, yeah, I've, had, you know, I've seen students, good students drop out because they can't afford the tuition anymore. Uh, and that's just crazy. Uh, we're wasting an incredible uh, American resource. And unless we do something to help these kids, uh, a lot of them are going to go by the wayside, and we're going to waste valuable uh, talent that we could use competing in the uh, international marketplace. Especially when you look at the fact, Brad, that we have you know a, such a, a large amount of student debt. It's unprecedented the, the amount of student debt that rose to this year. It's actually started to dwarf the cost of living uh, for some Americans, which is pretty insane. The cost of rent for some Americans. Um, you know, you shouldn't have to to go into debt the size of a mortgage just to get an education. Um, and this isn't all universities. This is you know in-state universities, which are you know taxpayer funded already. So I think it's a very wise proposal. And as you said, it's really reinvesting in the country. Um, So I think it's a win-win situation. Obviously, you know, with all these things that we're bringing up, many of them would have to pass through Congress, but you have to start somewhere and you have to have the priorities of your campaign to talk about what you're about and what your opponent uh, is not and differentiate the two. Um, The other uh, thing that Hillary Clinton brought up yesterday was campaign finance reform. She talked about, um, you know, having a Supreme Court justice uh, nominated so that we could push to have Citizens United overturned. Uh, She highlighted where she wanted to make sure all candidates, whether Democrat, Republican, or independent, uh, making it so that all candidates would be forced to disclose all political donations. And the other part that she mentioned, which I think is a great system, is the small donor matching system, which we've seen pop up uh, in some states like, um, I think, Vermont and Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But these are systems that are very popular, and basically it gives people... you know, your average American uh, more power and contributing to political campaigns and and makes it so that uh, actual, you know, politicians have more of an interest in courting voters who, you know, aren't just having, you know, giant checkbooks. Um, So I thought that was another really important point that she brought up uh, yesterday. And she also brought up voting rights, which uh, I believe the, the parts that she highlighted were restoring and strengthening the Voting Rights Act, which, again, as you brought up Brad falls on why the Supreme Court is important as they are the the people who struck down the Voting Rights Act and had the gall to say oh Congress will just you know update it and then pass it I mean we all knew that wasn't going to happen under this current Congress um, she also brought up another progressive idea which we have seen in the state of Oregon which is automatic voter registration when a person turns 18 I think that's a great idea and I would love to see the country adopted it. it shouldn't be so hard to register uh, to vote and you you know, having that automatically uh, be registered when you turn 18, I think, is something that, you know, would help a lot of Americans. And, and I don't really see the downside of it. No. And, you know, it's worth noting that this year's presidential election will be the first presidential election uh, since uh, the Supreme Court invalidated the Voting Rights Act. Uh, so uh, we're going to have a presidential uh, election for the first time, uh, which uh, where voters, minority voters, are not protected by the Voting Rights Act. And despite that, a number of states are trying to restrict the right to vote. Now, it makes perfect sense to me that in a democracy, we should be doing everything we can to encourage people to vote, not 
discourage them. Uh, but a lot of these voter registration laws, and this is where the Voting Rights Act used to play a role, uh, is that a lot of the people that uh, suffer from these new exclusion laws in the states um, are blacks and Latinos. Uh, and that's not a coincidence because you have these Republican state legislatures um, worried about growing minority voting populations. So they do everything they can to make it more difficult for minorities to vote. Uh, they reduce the number of polling places in minority neighborhoods. Uh, they uh, reduced uh, in Florida. Uh, they uh, reduced the number of hours the polls are open. Yeah, and, you and I mean, we should doing the opposite, not you know making it harder for people to vote, making it easy to vote. And you mentioned Oregon. Well, the other great thing about Oregon, and it should be a model for the entire country, is you can vote by mail. Exactly. It's in fact, you, there are no polling places in Oregon. The Secretary of State will send you a ballot in the mail, and you send this mail the the uh, pre-addressed stamped envelope back to the Secretary of State um, in Salem. Uh, and turnout is very, very high in Oregon, and it's not surprising because it's incredibly easy to vote uh, in Oregon, and all the states should be doing that, and that's just Oregon. Yeah, and Brad, you brought up you know that this will be the first uh, presidential election without the, the full protection of the Voting Rights Act in some time, and we've already seen the effects of that in the primaries in Arizona, People waited up to five hours to vote. I mean, it was absolutely insane. Uh, I think it was in Maricopa County where they cut down the the amount of polling places uh, where it was the most densely populated, uh, and you had a very high percentage of Latino voters in that area. And the excuses that they gave were a, a total load of BS. And it, these would not have these changes would not have been allowed to have been made if it wasn't if the Voting Rights Act was was still in place. So I think we already have seen the results of that. So it does greatly uh, concern me the effects that this is going to have on the presidential election, um, which is why turnout must be high. Um, but I also think that's a good reason, you know, that uh, Secretary Clinton is highlighting these uh, restoring the Voting Rights Act. Um, she also talked about each state having at least 20 days of in-person voting, which I think is another great idea. I, I, I love the ballot by mail, uh, as you brought up, Brad. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about what Secretary Clinton brought up in her speech uh, yesterday, and then we're going to uh, move on to talk about uh, the VP sweepstakes for Donald Trump, uh, which his uh, pick is expected to be announced this Friday. Uh, it does look like it's coming down to uh, two choices. Uh, which choices are those? We'll talk with Brad about that after the break. If you'd like to chime in on that or any of our other topics, we're also going to preview the uh, Republican uh, National Convention, which is coming up next week. Uh, you can give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. And we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer, with you for the rest of this hour, joined by a good friend of the show, Brad Bannon. Check him out at uh, Bannon CR, excuse me, at Brad Bannon on Twitter. His website is BannonCR.com. Uh, Brad, before we went to break, uh, as I alluded to, we are going to talk a little bit about the uh, Trump VP sweepstakes, which is expected to uh, come to a head this Friday with an announcement. Um, from what I've been reading, it looks like it's coming down to either Mike Pence or uh, Newt Gingrich. And, uh, you know, there's also some dark horses. But uh, I was wondering what, what you were hearing and what you think about the potential choice. Voices that are being floated. Well, yeah, I think yeah, you'll have to remember this is Donald Trump making a decision. Yeah, true. Uh, and apparently, the two prime candidates are, in fact, Mike Pence, the former member of Congress and, and current governor of Indiana, uh, and Newt Gingrich, the former Republican speaker. But you know, to me. If you look at Donald Trump's history, there's nothing to stop him from saying, yeah, I know, we've talked about those guys, but I think, you know, Joe Smith would be a lot better. Um, so I'm not placing any bets on this. Look, uh, Basically what's happening, there's an argument going on within the Trump campaign right now. The campaign staff, including the chairman of the campaign, Paul Manafort, uh, want Mike Pence desperately uh, because they feel uh, Pence is the best candidate. Uh, he's currently a governor. I believe he's uh, serving his second, the end of his second term. Uh, he was in Congress for many years, and as Congress, uh, he was, I believe, either chairman or ranking member of the House Foreign Relations Committee, uh, which gives him uh, some credibility in an area where Trump has none. And the problem is that the idea of Newt Gingrich fascinates uh, Trump. Uh, and apparently his family, his children, in-laws, and everything are pushing Gingrich very hard. Uh, so it's a matter of uh, who wins, uh, that comes out first, uh, the family um, or the staff. And it'll be interesting to find out. Personally, I think he'd be crazy um, to pick uh, Gingrich. I mean, Gingrich has so much uh, uh, baggage uh, with him, but apparently uh, Trump feels Pence is kind of dull and, you know, really doesn't, you know, ex really isn't excited by the idea of Pence. And, you know, I go back to the old axiom about uh, vice presidential candidates when you pick them, um, and this is uh, known as the Sarah Palin cor uh, corollary, uh, do no harm. Um, you want a vice presidential candidate who's at the very, you know, if nothing else doesn't hurt you. Um, Pence would be that kind of choice. Uh, but whether uh, Trump wants to play it safe or not, um, I don't pretend to know. Uh, but we probably will find out uh, Friday. Uh, and uh, the other thing apparently that Trump likes about Gingrich is the best thing, the most valuable thing a vice president does during a campaign is the nationally televised vice presidential debate. Brad, we're going to leave with a cliffhanger there just because we're coming up on our hard break. Brad will finish with that thought after this break. This is Mark Grimaldi in with Brad Bannon for Leslie Marshall.
must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, in for the remainder of this hour with Brad Bannon. As I was talking to Brad before the break, Brad, you were uh, starting to talk a little bit about one of the reasons that Donald Trump is attracted to Newt Gingrich as a potential vice presidential pick, uh, talking a little bit about the uh, vice presidential debate that happens. Go ahead, Brad. Well, the most important moment uh, for any vice presidential candidate, and maybe and some people would say the only important moment, uh, is in October when the two vice presidential candidates uh, will debate. And apparently, and he's probably right about this, is uh, that uh, Gingrich is a much better debater than Pence is. And if that's really the most important use you can make of your vice president, you know, Gingrich thinks, well, let's let's let Newt do it. He can probably take apart whoever is uh, debating on the uh, Democratic side. Uh, So uh, there's some division in the campaign. Uh, The professionals want Pence. The Trump family is intrigued by Gingrich, uh, but we'll find out soon because I think they're going to announce it on Friday. It's interesting talking about Pence specifically. Um, As you know, Brad, uh, he and other Republicans have disagreed with Trump throughout the primary process on certain issues, one uh, very prominent one being Trump's proposed uh, ban on Muslims entering the United States. I want to play a clip of audio uh, from Governor Pence back in uh, December and then a clip actually from last night uh, from the CNN uh, town hall uh, with Paul Ryan and just get your thoughts on that. I think I think comments that this is Pence uh, suggest that uh, that Muslims uh, should be banned from the United States are offensive and unconstitutional. Um, uh, in the the United States uh, cannot and should not discriminate on the basis of religion. Uh, the free exercise of religion is at the very heart of our constitutional guarantee for all persons in this country. And, so I, uh, I find those comments to be uh, offensive and unconstitutional. Thank you, everyone. So that was pretty clear language. He was a, a little less clear, as you would expect, when he was asked about it uh, just this week uh, after an event with uh, Donald Trump. But he didn't uh, disavow the comments or say that he changed his mind. He just kind of tried to avoid the question. And then this next clip is from an exchange with Paul Ryan uh, at a town hall uh, run by CNN last night. You talked uh, earlier about aspirational politics. Um, I want to introduce you now to Carrie Cahill. Carrie's father, Michael Cahill, was tragically killed in the Fort Hood shooting in 2009, a domestic terrorist attack that killed 13 people. And now this remarkable story, she and the shooter's cousin speak together, traveling across the country, talking to students about fighting extremism. She is not registered with a political party. Carrie. So I hear you, and I hear what you have to say. But Donald Trump is proposing a ban on Muslims from entering this country. And you have said that that is not not with the principles of your party or this country, and I agree with you. How do you explain to the 1.6 billion Muslims that we trade with, that we ally with, that live next door to us, 
how you endorse a man who has that proposal on his agenda. I disagree with him on it. It's just that simple. Look, no two people agree on everything. Uh, again, let me go back to what I said at the beginning. We have a binary choice. Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. I, I pick Donald that. Trump. The, the, the libertarian is basically voting for Hillary Clinton. I, that's just my point. Uh, that binary choice. So when I hear something that I don't agree with, a religious test, that is that, that I was just defending the First freedom. Amendment right of conscience. Same principles, same constitutional amendment. The first one applies to this as well, which is we do not discriminate against religion. We, we, need, we need a security test on people coming to this country, not a religious test. So when I see those principles being violated or compromised, whoever is doing it, I'm going to speak out against it. When they're doing it to Catholic nurses and doctors in California or when a Republican is doing it to Muslims. So, Brad, we heard the first clip was by Governor Pence uh, of Indiana back in December, which I think will be interesting if he does end up being uh, the VP pick of Trump. Obviously, you see the conflicting you know, points there. And then you have Paul Ryan last night, who also, in a, in a different clip we didn't play, uh, disagreed with Trump about rounding up the 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country. Uh, just want your thoughts on, on the friction here. Well, you know, it reflects the divisions in the Republican Party. Um, a lot of Republicans, uh, to their credit, uh, I believe what Governor Pence said was, uh, first of all, it is unconstitutional. Um, Governor Pence is right. Uh, you can't ban Muslims because the First Amendment prohibits the federal government from employing religious tests. Uh, and again, this is where we get a, the importance of Supreme Court. Uh, you know, the need for a progressive uh, majority on the court to maintain these important constitutional principles, which Donald Trump just wants to, you know, chuck out uh, without thinking twice about it. Uh, but it does reflect the divisions in the Republican Party, uh, which is why you're never going to have that big uh, uh, that big uh, photo op of uh, Newt Gingrich uh, hugging uh, the all the uh, senior members of the Republican Party. Um, most of them won't even go to Cleveland. Uh, neither Bush brothers even go to Cleveland. Um, uh, former President Bush, uh, the second former President Bush, said he could not vote for Donald Trump. Uh, John Kasich, the governor of Ohio, uh, trashes uh, Trump any time he gets a chance. And Governor Kasich is going to be the host of the convention. Uh, and there are a lot of divisions in the Republican Party. And while, uh, you know, the Democrats did a great thing in Hillary and Bernie getting together tomorrow, uh, the Republican Party is in chaos. Yeah, they did uh, yesterday, you mean, but exactly. I agree with the contrast, uh, contrasting there you did, Brad. We're going to go uh, next to uh, a good friend of the show, Paul, uh, in Washington. Paul, I know you wanted to comment on Trump's potential uh, vice presidential choices. Thanks for uh, joining us, and go ahead, Paul. Well, good afternoon, uh, Mark and Brad. Um, yeah, I was interested in what Brad had to say about Newt Gingrich being the most uh, capable debater, and what I was thinking about that is the, uh, the only problem in this case for having Newt Gingrich being a capable debater is that he only could have the function of, well, two functions. One, exacerbating Trump's extremist, you know, sort of racist and bigoted points. The other function would be to simply be the attacker, uh, to attack Hillary Clinton, which I think is what he would do. I don't think he's really going to, uh, he would really debate 
the vice presidential candidate for the Democratic side on, a, on vice presidential terms, I think Newt Gingrich's function would be to attack Hillary Clinton, which is, you know, again, part of a, a one-front attack. In that case, I wonder if, uh, since I think that's what we can count on, if a good uh, counterpick on the Democratic side would be Elizabeth Warren, that she can go ahead and say those things, uh, basically attack in a misogynistic way, attack Hillary Clinton right to Elizabeth Warren's face. What do you think of that idea? Well, yeah, I, yeah that's a good point, Paul, uh, because that is a risk. Uh, the You have to be, if you're a male candidate, you have to be uh, very careful about attacking female candidates uh, because many times male candidates have gone after female candidates uh, and they've got uh, they've got uh, you know hurt doing it. A classic example is when Hillary Clinton uh, ran for the U.S. Senate in New York. Her opponent was a Republican uh, congressman named uh, Rick Lazio from Long Island. And during a televised debate, uh, they were Hillary and Lazio were debating, and at one point, uh, Lazio got out from behind his podium and walked over to Hillary's podium and, you know, started pointing in her face. And the reaction <laughs> against that was that was incredibly negative. So a male candidate has to be very careful uh, if, you know, for instance, if uh, it is Elizabeth Warren, uh, Gingrich would have to be very careful. And, again, he's not really known for being careful. Right, right. Well, let me, Brad, let me offer you a, a similarly classic example. Uh, I am talking about 1992 in Washington State when a mom in tennis shoes by the name of Patty Murray was running for the U.S. Senate against a congressman known as by the name of Rod Chandler. Patty Murray was running dreadfully behind in this race until a televised debate when she attacked Rod Chandler's record. And what his response was this. Well, dang me, dang me, take a rope and hang me. Hang me from the highest tree, but woman, don't you weep for me. And that was the end of Rod Chandler in the beginning of, uh, what is it now, four-term Senate uh, tenure for Patty Murray. So, You're right, that's a, a great example. example, and it happens all the time. I can think of a couple other instances. Yeah. Uh, and Trump has to be careful. Not only we're talking about vice presidential candidates here, but Trump has to be very careful uh, if he goes too far in attacking Hillary, uh, he'll get a lot of blowback. And again, uh, Trump is not one uh, <laughs> to, to be, be careful. Very careful either. So you can yeah. very easily see that in the campaign where Trump says something about Clinton and ends up creating uh, a sympathy for Hillary. Paul, thanks for the call. We, thanks, we always appreciate it. Brad, I think that's a good point you bring up, especially in the misogynistic ways that Trump has already acted toward women. You had him attack Hillary Clinton for, quote-unquote, playing the women card, and they had a great fundraising off effort off of it where they started issuing women cards uh, for a donation on Hillary's website, and now she has her famous line of, uh, you know, if I'm playing the, uh, a woman card, then then uh, deal me in, or I, I, I just butchered it. But, yeah, well, she uh, said if, if uh, playing the women's card means equal 
pay for women. That's right. You know, deal me deal in. Deal me in. Exactly. And I think she, she used it as, as a strength to also bring up um, paid family leave. So uh, I, I totally agree with you on that one, especially the, the optics of a, a vice presidential debate. Uh, I want to move on next after this break to uh, President Obama's remarks yesterday uh, at the memorial in Dallas, Texas, where uh, he was honoring the five slain police officers from last week's shooting. Um, very strong comments about um, police, uh, you know, protecting our police officers, but also protecting the people that are the policed, uh, especially in the African-American community. And the president talking about how this country needs to come together um, and how, how we go about doing that. And that there's no, you know, necessarily a, not a cookie cutter solution to doing so, but we must rise to the challenge. A very strong speech that was received very well. Um, we're going to get back to uh, that conversation after this break. Again, this is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer, uh, along with Brad Bannon, coming up on our final segment. Uh, there's a line open if you'd like to join us. We'll squeeze you in. The number to do so is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-754. And we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by a good friend of the show, Brad Bannon. Check out his website, BannonCR.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. You can follow myself on Twitter, at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Uh, Brad, before the break, as I promised, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about President Obama's remarks at the uh, memorial in Dallas yesterday. Uh, this is from uh, Talk Media News' own Victoria Jones. Um, she, in, Obama in Dallas yesterday urged uh, Americans rattled by a week of violence and protests to find, quote, open hearts and new empathy in a speech that seesawed between honoring police officers for their bravery and decrying racial prejudice that can affect their work. He spoke near five empty chairs for the police officers killed last week. Uh, Obama sought to reassure the nation that he understands the impact of the unsettling events of the past week, including the killing of two black men by police officers, as well as the Dallas attacks. Quote, it is as if the deepest fault lines of our democracy have suddenly become exposed, perhaps even widened, he said. Undaunted, the president urged Americans to cast aside such doubt and replace it with faith in the nation's institute and progress. Quote, Dallas, I'm here to say we must reject such despair. I'm here to insist that we are not as divided as we seem. And I know because I know America. I know how far we've come against impossible odds, he said. Speaking before President Obama, former President Bush said, quote, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. And this has strained our bonds of understanding and common purpose. This is also a quote from Obama, quote, if Americans cannot talk honestly and openly amongst themselves and those who look different or come from a different life experience, then we will never break this dangerous cycle. Can we do this? The president asked, can we find the character as Americans to open our hearts to each other? And that really is the question, Brad, that the president so, I think, eloquently asked um, and, you know, isn't sugarcoating it or, or talking about that it's going to be easy, but is addressing it head on, as I think he's done uh, when he's had to as president with situations of race. And he's uniquely uh, positioned to do so, uh, being our first African-American president and, and talking about being the leader of all of us. So I just was wondering what you thought of his uh, remarks before we go to our calls on the matter. 
Well, I thought it was a very good speech. Uh, one of the president's jobs, and I thought President Obama did it very well, uh, is to uh, speak for Americans uh, and express uh, what Americans are thinking uh, at you know in the uh, you know follow up to uh, tragic events. And I thought he did that very well. And I thought the the other thing, you know, it's really the visuals that count. And if you looked at the visuals yesterday, uh, at one point uh, you have uh, the president and the first lady. Uh, you have uh, Joe Biden and his wife, Dr. Biden. Uh, and you also have uh, George W. Bush uh, and his wife, Laura. And at one point during the ceremonial ceremony, uh, George W. Bush grabs Michelle Obama's hand. And seeing that, it was very touching and exactly what America needed to see. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it is what America needs to see from our leaders, especially a great example of two, you know, uh, a former president and a president who couldn't be uh, further apart on, you know, very many important issues, but on, on this issue showing uh, unity. And I thought, you know, former President Bush did have some strong remarks, some of, of which I mentioned. Um, not everyone was helpful after the speech, unfortunately, which, you know, as you've seen after the attacks of the last week, shouldn't surprise us. Uh, obviously, we hope that's, you know, I'm a, minor, a minority of the country, but it still does exist. And that's what I know a couple of our callers wanted to uh, discuss. We first go to uh, Reggie in Georgia. Reggie, go ahead with your thoughts. Well, happy hump day to you and, to you and Brad, Mark. Hey, Reggie. Hi, yeah, how you guys doing, by the way? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up the people who were, well, bitching and complaining about his speech. Like, you know, you had Dana Loach and Katie Padlidge of Fox News saying that they can't believe that he would turn that speech or memorial or eulogy service for those five murdered police officers or, or cops into a political lecture or lectures about gun control, politics, and racism issues. Well, it's supposed to be about those offices, not I, about political elections. I think if the yeah. president if the president didn't talk about both sides of the issue, he would have been criticized by one or the other. But I, I think you know President Obama has shown time and time again he, he's not afraid of people like that, nor should he be. You're going to have people on the far right who are going to, no matter what the president says, even at times like this where the nation needs to be healed, they show how divisive they are by attacking a man who is trying to unify the country. And you're going to have people like that, not just in political life, but but life in general, people who want to help and people who wanted to divide and conquer. So uh, I agree with you, Reggie. It is disturbing to see that, but unfortunately, I guess it, it can't surprise us. Um, I want to go just because we're limited in time next to uh, another good friend of the show, Michael in the Bronx. Michael, go ahead with your thoughts as well. Hi, Mark. Hi, Brad. Yeah, hey, Michael. Just, just wanted to echo all that. That you know, President Obama did a doggone great job and um, his speech, and he was being very honest. And it was important to talk about both events because what happened in Dallas, however inexcusable it was, it was retaliatory because of what happened to two African Americans. And you got people on this earth that do not um, want to listen to any voice or reason any further, that they want to take matters into their own hands and Obama said that has to stop. And while he's trying to bridge the gaps, as the previous caller said, you got people from Fox News, you got Donald Trump, and you even got Rudy Giuliani still adding fuel to the fire, declaring all blacks as criminals and thugs, or Trump being, um, doing the same thing with Mexicans and Muslims. I mean, the thing is that to me, that is a crime in itself. 
because you're putting targets on the very people you got a prejudice against. And they want to talk, call themselves Mr. Law and Orders and stuff. Hey, we can have another forum on discussing how much unlawful and unconstitutional these guys are and how much baggage they have. Michael, thank you for the call. Run out of time, Brad. I want to give you the, the last word on the subject. We've got about 30 seconds here. Well, uh, you know, you can't talk about what happened in Dallas without talking about the crazy policies or lack of policies we have towards gun violence. Uh, It would have been a, a crime for the president not to bring that up yesterday. Brad, very well done. Uh, it's a great uh, great privilege to always be uh, with you here on the show whenever we get a chance to do so. That's Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. You can check out his website, which is BannonCR.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. You can give me a follow as well if you'd like. It's at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. This has been Mark Grimaldi on behalf of Brad Bannon in for Leslie Marshall. Have a great evening, and we will talk with you again tomorrow.